Welcome to the global phenomenon, Surviving the Survivor, where we bring you the best guests in all of true crime. What's up, SDS Nation, and welcome to another episode of Surviving the Survivor, the podcast that promises to bring you the very best guests in all of true crime, even on a Monday. And today, this week, another massive week in getting justice for Dan Markell, which is what this is all about. Uh, Today, of course, uh, we are expecting the arraignment of Donna Sue Adelson. And just about 13 minutes time, the pool camera for this, shout out to WCTV in Tallahassee. They are operating the pool camera or for the various media outlets. And uh, not only will there be her arraignment today, but following uh, her arraignment, uh, or Jeremy will explain this in just a moment, there's going to be a hearing on this emergency motion order. And that uh, basically is screaming uh, for justice in, in a sense for Donna Sue Adelson herself, essentially saying that Her conditions in jail are cruel and inhumane. That uh, motion was uh, put forth last week, and Judge Stephen Everett, who resided over the Charlie Adelson case, is going to be the one who hears this motion today, as far as we know. Uh, Jeremy, without further ado, as I start to take a look at some of these comments, we always hear the word arraignment. You lawyers toss around the word arraignment quite a bit. Uh, what does it mean, and what does it mean in this case specifically? Because we're about to see Donna Sue Adelson's arraignment. Well, good afternoon, Joel. Most of the time, arraignment is sounds a lot fancier than it really is. And in, in many cases, probably a majority of cases in Florida, arraignment's almost a non-event, and sometimes it's waived. And uh, if you have an attorney, there's really no to, true significance of it. But as it's historically been used and and the formal aspects of it is the place where you're advised of your charges. It's the the first time that you are formally advised of your charges. And in a homicide case, it's more significant because you've been indicted. uh, And in some instances, you've been indicted um, post uh, your initial arrest. And so that's important to formally advise uh, Donna of those charges. But, but as a practical matter, it's not going to affect anything in the outcome of the case. They're going to set another trial date down the road, or they're going to set a case management date to keep track of this case down the road. The, the more important event for today is going to be this motion, because that's, that's something where, you know, we're going to hear things that, you know, we haven't heard before, potentially, you know, we're, we're going to be awaiting the order of the court. And although it's unlikely the court would entertain the relief she's asking for, you know, it'll still be very interesting to to hear her actually potentially testify or hear her attorneys present this evidence on her behalf. Um, by the way, I, I am uh, remiss because I did not uh, properly introduce Jeremy. Most people know Jeremy because he's on the show a lot, but uh, he specializes in criminal defense, family law and divorce law. He does have very strong Tallahassee ties, attending the FSU School of Law, where Dan Markell was a professor. And Jeremy also worked as an assistant state attorney. So he was inside the prosecuting uh, prosecutor's office uh, who prosecuted uh, these multiple trials in this Dan Markell 
murder case. He now practices in Chipley, Florida. So uh, Jeremy is uh, obviously very well versed in all of this. And some people are going to say, hey, where's Tim Jansen? Uh, Tim and I spoke multiple times this weekend. Uh, he's got a couple of things tied up in court. He had to attend court and some other things. So Jeremy's going to be with us today and tomorrow. Could not be in better hands. And I'm sure Jeremy will come back uh, again, uh, not only as a guest, but uh, do some of this play by play analysis. Um, Jeremy, you know, we've got uh, the best guests, better community, as I like to say. And uh, Mary Kay Thompson, right off the bat, kind of. Uh, in jest here, will poor abused Donna, of course, poking fun at this motion, be wearing street clothes or an orange jumpsuit? It's an interesting question because Tim and I actually just covered uh, the Shanna Gardner case. She's accused of putting out a hit on her husband, um, Jared Bargain, and she was in court, I think it was last week, getting a last week, and she was in street clothes. But the other defendant, her husband, Mario uh, Fernandez Saldana, he was in a jumpsuit. What are we expecting? What should we see here uh, with Donna? Well, normally in Florida, other than trial, where your rights for a fair trial in front of a jury are at stake, you know, normal events, she'll be in jail clothes. She'll be in, you know, it's not always orange jumpsuit. They have other colors sometimes they use. But uh, the reason you would dress in, in, a, in a nice closing in a suit or something for trial is because the jurors haven't met you before. So we don't want to prejudice uh, your right to a fair trial with those jurors, you know, if it's, you know, the first time they see her in court, but this is an event that you're not going to have a jury there. So she'll just be brought, she'll be transported over in her clothes at the jail. But it is kind of a good question in the sense, because part of her motion alleges that she's being kept without clothing in the jail, you know? So that's, that's kind of interesting, but I'd expect her to be in an orange or in some kind of a, a jail garb. Uh, this question here from Vicky, or this comment actually from Vicky H is interesting. I'll tell you why in a moment. I don't think Donna will survive jail until a trial. Well, coming up at 5 p.m. after this arraignment, um, we've got Nate Prince, who is a very well-known Tallahassee uh, defense attorney. He represented a guy named Henry, Henry Segura, who uh, was convicted of murdering four people. It was a high-profile case. Uh, he's going to be joining us at 5 but so is someone uh, who is remaining anonymous, but goes by the first name Jane. And just this past year, um, she spent about a week in the Leon County Jail in the same pod as Donna Sue Adelson. And she's going to tell us uh, what it was like in there and what it's like uh, specifically for Donna right now, day in, day out. Uh, no one knows it better than Jane because she was literally living that life for a few days uh, and she has, um, she comes from a very well-to-do background, uh, so not dissimilar um, to Donna Sue Adelson, and she'll tell us her story. That's at 5 p.m. Eastern. Also going to be joined by Jackie Pulverari of uh, Reentry Evolution Services. She's a former inmate who now goes to Yale University Law School and has completely turned her life around uh, for the better. Um, see some people asking here about Tim. Tanya, you can't be in better hands with Jeremy Mutz. Thank you to Joseph Lewis, John Conforto for becoming Luis. Joseph Luis Lewis, John Conforto for joining. Um, so, Jeremy, there, there are two things at play here today. Um, and again, we're waiting for this arraignment. It is scheduled to start at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So six minutes from now. 
there are two things at play. We've got, of course, the arraignment, the reading of the charges, the formal reading of the charges, uh, Minnesota in the House here. But then we've also got this motion I was talking about, this emergency motion that was filed by uh, her defense uh, team last week, basically saying that she's living under you know cruel and inhumane conditions, that she's only had a shower or two in the last three weeks and uh, not given proper uh, utensils and blankets and things of that nature. Jeremy, are we going to hear about this motion before or after uh, the arraignment? And how how does one hear about this motion? Does Judge Everett go through the various bullet points on the motion and react to them, or will he have a statement prepared already? Yeah, I would expect him to do the arraignment first and get that out of the way, possibly set a trial date, and then go into the motion. And he it's up to the judge and whether the judge sometimes uh, has made up a little bit of his mind about it, you know, which is not entirely unheard of to say, I've read your motion. Um, you know, unless there's more, you know, I'm not inclined to grant it or I've read your motion. Go ahead and present what else you're going to present to me. Uh, any evidence, any testimony, any further argument. It really depends on the judge and, and how he he views it. And uh, Judge Everett's very fair, and I think he'll he'll give them their opportunity to to present testimony or present further argument. Um, but it'll be interesting to see his initial comments, though, in terms of his demeanor, uh, any kind of tell whether he's made up his mind. Because you know, if a motion is frivolous or if they feel like it's unfounded, you know, many judges are not shy about uh, letting you know that. Others are more of a poker face and they're just going to let you present it. I'm not going to indicate anything of how I feel about this. Just go through it. Matter of fact, and then they make a ruling right then and there. And, and it's anybody's guess what Judge Everett will do. Um, if I had to guess, I'd say he'd let them present any evidence they want to present, any argument, and then he'd make a decision and he'll he'll move through it very fast or, or very in a very orderly way. By the way, I've got some uh, emails saying, why are you on the phone sometimes? I'm always working, um, either taking notes about something I want to ask Jeremy or reaching out to someone like Space Coast, uh, who's doing all the hard work behind the scenes in Los Angeles to make sure we are copacetic. It's never because I'm intentionally ignoring anyone, but having a career in broadcast news, I'm used to typing and listening and doing a couple of things. So stop sending me the hate mail about that. It's a multitasking um, business. It, it is, you have to multitask in, in many businesses, in law and uh, certainly in broadcast news media. You have to sit there and maintain your focus usually while someone is talking in your ear, which does happen a lot. I see JMS here from uh, South Africa. Neil Boken became a new member. This is interesting. Um, Jeremy, this is a very involved answer, but I think uh, Andrew says, I think Charlie was the mastermind and Donna didn't know until it was uh, until after it was already done and over, that doesn't make her uh, guilty of conspiracy, I don't think, but I could be wrong. Um, we don't have the time to get into the nitty gritty, but, um, you know, at its face, do you think Donna's potential trial, if it gets to one, is tough, a tougher nut to crack for the state than Charlie's is at this point? I don't, because I really think the calls that she had with Charlie – uh, shows she's every bit of of an accessory to this, of uh, you know somebody who who participated in this and was a willing participant to carry it out and to to maintain the cover up. 
You know, she didn't hear about this and say, oh, my goodness, what has happened? I'm going to go to law enforcement. You know, she I think the evidence that we've all talked about all these many months, you know, really shows that she was involved in the conspiracy of this. And, uh, you know, if you're watching, by the way, I've never seen this one. Greetings from Martinique uh, in the Caribbean, I believe. So hello to Caroline. Thank you for joining us. Uh, We are truly a global show and uh, within the United States. I think we hit all 50 states. Hello from Oregon. Uh, Hello to you. Greetings from Houston. On and on it goes. Uh, Just a simple hello, everyone here from uh, Debbie Blair. So I love it. Um, You know, in this motion, Jeremy, they the defense lays out sort of a timeline of events for Donna in jail, starting with her in Miami. Of course, that's where she was taken into custody. And it says she was placed in a psychiatric uh, unit because of the charges against her that she was in an isolation cell with a small sink, mattress on the floor, blanket, and a toilet. Donna did not have access to any clothes, cups, silverware, books, blankets, or toiletries, and was only permitted to shower once. This is jail, right, Jeremy? I mean, does this, what I just read to you, by the way, Austria in the house, what I just read to you, um, does that sound like cruel and unusual punishment to you, or does that sound like, the Department of Corrections at work, in this case, Leon County Sheriff's uh, Office and the jail that they have there? Well, I see a couple of things here. I see, number one, they're trying to brick by brick lay a foundation for this motion that they're trying to do to show a pattern of sort of abuse or maltreatment of their client. And then secondly, that same evidence can lay the foundation for a later motion to declare Ms. Adelson incompetent to stand trial. And I don't know the percentage of, of felony cases in Florida that would go that route, but a good number of them, there's a mental health expert, a panel that would find somebody incompetent to proceed, and then they have to have restoration training. They may have to be in uh, Florida State Hospital or, or some other location for mental health until they are deemed competent to actually stand trial. And it's very common, you know, unfortunately, some instances it's completely legitimate. Others, it's more of a delay uh, methodology. So they may be trying to do that. But really outside the, uh, none of what I hear is really outside the, the realm of what occurs to somebody because it's a, it's a traumatic thing. You're, you're, you're dragged from your home at two o'clock in the morning, you're put in jail. Um, no jail is really a pleasant place to be. No ride in a van across the state you know, nine hours on the road in a van is going to be pleasant. And it's compounded by the fact that she is on, on suicide watch. And so you're, you're, everything is taken away from you. Everything that might give you comfort, even a toothbrush or something like that could be something you could hurt yourself with. So that's already on top of being unpleasant. Now it's really miserable existence because you're, you're naked shivering in a cell with a hard plastic blanket. So if I'm, if I'm advising her, you know, one of the things I might suggest to her is as soon as you're found uh, to not be a risk to yourself, you're going to be in more of a general population. Your existence awaiting trial is going to be a lot better. Um, we are getting word that it is beginning and we are just trying to figure out 
Uh, the cameras get tricky here, and uh, we're trying to get you Is to the right any, position here. Is there any argument or testimony that you wish to take in support of your motion? Your Honor, Looking I live to supplement my motion which was filed last week that we are now on day 22 of direct observation. Uh, Mrs. Adelson continues unable to participate in her defense. She's not permitted any papers. I cannot mail her anything. Uh, I did have a call with her on Friday, but only because Mrs. Kappelman facilitated it for me. And on that call, it was not a private call. Uh, Ms. Adelson was forced to put me on speakerphone with guards listening. Um, there, is, there is just no way that Mrs. Adelson can prepare for her defense in this manner. All right, there, there is one question that I had specifically as to this issue. And I noticed within your pleading that you had quotes from your client and also some observations of what has been taking place with the correctional staff. Are you alleging that you have no ability to access your client or that there is limited contact with your client? No, Your Honor. I'm not saying that there is no ability. Um, the direct observations that are contained within my motion were not observed by myself, uh, but Daniel Rashbaum, uh, Charlie Adelson's attorney, had a visit with Charlie Adelson, and he was able to swap it out for Miss Donna Adelson uh, the week of, I think, November 27th or 28th. So he was able to have that conversation with her in person. Um, I've had a conversation with her, like I said, over the phone. Um, I have been told um, that I can do a 60-minute increment visit with her in person. Um, there is no video visitation ability. Um, so I would say that my ability to meet with her is limited. It's not non-existent. Um, however, my ability to share, for example, discovery, paperwork, this motion, the motion I filed with Ms. Adelson um, is non-existent because she's not permitted to have paper. Very well. We'll take up the other aspect of this in a moment, actually, which deals with the level of confinement and what is going on with it. Ms. Kappelman, does the state have any argument to make concerning this matter? The state would defer to Mr. Toomey, who's here to speak on those matters that I think you're addressing right now. Very well. Mr. Pimentel, Mr. Toomey. Good afternoon, Judge. Good afternoon. Um, as far as this particular issue goes, there is no impediment to her speaking with her lawyer, seeing her lawyer, over and above using a tablet. Tablet has a headset that can be used as a ligature. Um, otherwise, she's free to enter the jail. Uh, Chief Mack is here. He's assured me that they can have a visit. I don't understand the problem that um, is perceived, but there is no impediment to an attorney-client visitation. Am I correct? The first question, we'll have Chief Mack give some testimony so that way we have a clear record. But the level of confinement and also the current restrictions that are in place, are these because there were at some point statements alluding to self-harm during the jail phone calls? And at booking here. When she was booked into the jail here, she made a statement that she wanted to die. Now, before she was arrested in Miami, she also had a phone call with her son, who's obviously in jail here. 25-minute phone call. I've personally listened to it. She um, very clearly spoke about a plan to kill herself using sleeping pills. If One moment, Ms. Adelson, please keep your comments to yourself. Let your lawyer argue on your behalf. Spoke of a plan to kill herself if she could not escape the country before arrest. 
That was known to the folks in this jail when she got here. That's why she's on watch. The, med the mental health professionals see her every day. They are not satisfied that she's safe. And it's up to them to decide it. I'll give you an opportunity to respond, Mr. Sclazo. Mr. Toomey, one more thing before we move on into taking Chief Mack's testimony. Is there a specific procedure that the jail has for dealing with inmates with a threat of self-harm? Chief Mack, let me swear you in. Do you swear or affirm the testimony you're about to give will be the truth? Yes, sir. If you can explain to me what the procedure is, Chief Mack, and from there, Mr. Toomey, Mr. Pimentel, I'll allow you to direct Chief Mack on any other matters you believe to be pertinent. Go ahead, sir. Okay. Anytime anyone uh, makes a statement or we get evidence of someone wants to actually harm themselves, they're placed on direct observation. On direct observation, they receive a smock as well as a suicide blanket. And they're placed in an isolated room not it's just direct observation is what it really is so we have a staff member outside the door that actually watches them around the clock make sure they don't cause any harm to themselves when are the individuals who are under this status reevaluated for going back to general population that's done daily with uh, yes care personnel mr toomey if you have any further examination for chief mack i'll allow you to do so at this time Chief, is there a, a way for someone that's on suicide watch to have a direct visit with their lawyer? Yes, uh, we will uh, pull the individual from the particular area that they are housed in and put them in an office with just the attorney. And are, are there any remote capabilities for someone who is in the suicide or, or close watch observation wing? remote capabilities as far as phone calls zoom tablets things of that nature that person will be escorted to an office where uh, we can actually see through the door a glass window and the officer will stand on the outside and just watch them from the outside and this is related to the any concerns you have about self-harm yes uh, that's because of uh, we just keep constant view keep them in vision to make sure that they don't do anything or pick up anything they can take back to the room and harm themselves later. Mr. Scalzo, do you have an examination for Chief Mack? I do, Your Honor. May I proceed, Your Honor? You may. Thank you. Uh, would you like me to proceed from here? That's fine. Thank you, Your Honor. Um, Chief Mackey, is, am I pronouncing that correctly? Uh, Mack. Chief Mack. Chief Mack. Um, Have you listened to this 25 minute call that Ms. Adelson had before she was arrested? Not in its entirety. I actually heard the portion where she uh, was speaking of wanting to uh, do a pact with her husband. I'm assuming that's who individual was. Chief Mack, did you participate, do you participate in the decision on whether Ms. Adelson needs to remain on direct observation? No ma'am, that's a medical. Okay, is the medical person that makes that decision a psychiatrist or another person? That's Dr. Uh, Dr. Sapp. So Dr. Sapp, is Dr. Sapp a psychiatrist? Yes. Okay, uh, do you know if Dr. Sapp has examined Ms. Adelson? She advised me that she spoke with her on different occasions of been around the area while 
uh, another clinician was talking with him. Well, how is Miss Doctor Zap? Zap. Zap. How how is Doctor Zap? Uh, Zap uh, with a C. I'm sorry. If you could spell it, Chief Mac. S A P P. Zap. Ah, Zap. Um, so, how is Doctor Zap supposed to determine whether Mrs. Adelson can be removed from direct observation if she doesn't evaluate her? From what I was advised, uh, she has evaluated her and also other uh, members of her staff. Chief, Chief Mack, would it surprise you uh, if Dr. Zapp has not evaluated Mrs. Adelson at all? I couldn't say that uh, I would be, I, I wouldn't think that she would tell me something that wasn't true. Do you have a report from Dr. Zapp I establishing, I'm sorry. It, I wouldn't take, uh, because of HIPAA laws, I don't necessarily get involved with medical paperwork that nature. Chief Mack, did you come to court today knowing that you were going to testify about whether or not Mrs. Adelson was on direct observation or not? I knew I was supposed to be here, but the extent, I can't say I was privileged to told that I was going to actually testify, but I was prepared if I did. And Chief Mack, knowing that you had to come here today possibly to testify, did you inquire how many times Dr. Zapp had met with Mrs. Adelson? I did not because they actually see everyone that's on direct daily, and it's more than just Ms. Adelson. Chief Mack, are you aware that Dr. Zapp has never evaluated or met with Mrs. Adelson? I can only go what I've been told by Ms. Zapp. Chief Mack, are you aware that Dr. Pugh is the only psychiatrist that has seen Mrs. Adelson, and that was on November 27th? Uh, I didn't get that information as to who saw her. All I needed to know, all I need to be privileged to, is that she needed to be on direct observation. Chief Mack, do you have a list of all the times that Mrs. Adelson has been evaluated to determine whether she can be removed from direct observation? Like I previously said, the only time uh, I know they see them daily. And with that, I don't get any paperwork because I'm not a medical professional. I'm just making sure that her safety is taken care of. Of course, Chief Mack, but just to be clear, I'm not asking whether you've seen any paperwork. I'm asking in preparation for coming here today, were you advised how many times she had visits? No. Did you ask how many times she had been visited? Not just knowing that she's being seen daily. I don't ask who actually saw her or what the conversation was pertaining to. Chief Mack, if she is being visited daily, would there be a report of those visits? Yes, it should be uh, notes that they take. To the, daily. Uh, daily. Right. Okay. And Chief Mack, if, if what you're saying is, what you were told is correct, there should be a report from Dr. Zapp and from whoever, whatever clinician is meeting her daily, right? About the evaluation. Yes, I will assume it is. And Chief Mack, did you know that Mrs. Adelson was actually arrested in Miami? Yes. Okay. And did you know that she spent some time in jail in Miami? Yes. And did you know that, that she was there for about five days before she was transported to Leon County? Should be something like that, yes. Okay. And did you, were you aware that she was at a county jail, very similar to the Leon County, county Jail? Well, I don't, I've never been to Miami's 
facility, so I can't tell you exactly what they do or what their policies are. Okay. Chief Mack, were you aware that Mrs. Adelson was also in dir on direct observation in Miami-Dade County for a period of time while she was there? No, I didn't actually see any paperwork of it. And Chief Mack, did, you, did anybody tell you, any of your clinicians tell you that actually Mrs. Adelson was evaluated by the same psychiatrist over a period of 72 hours in Miami, and she was released to general population. I heard something of it, but I don't necessarily, uh, I go by the contract provider when we do anything in the MA Health. Who told you that she might have been evaluated in Miami and released to general pop population? It was just uh, something that was said, uh, I think she may have spoken to an officer and said it. Chief Mack, if she would have spoken to a clinician about that, you wouldn't know about that, right? Because that's HIPAA? I wouldn't have known about it because I didn't speak to uh, uh, my clinicians. I just speak with them about Ms. Adelson in general. What general conversations are you having about Mrs. Adelson with your clinicians, Chief Mack? It's just where they, how they uh, evaluated her and where she is in her evaluation. Okay. If she's going to be released uh, on a step-down program or anything of that nature. Okay. Can you tell us generally what you have been told? What, what was her evaluation like? When will she be stepped down? What's happening? That's something that they will tell me when that occurs in the way of when she uh, feels as though that Ms. Adelson is at that stage in the process, she will inform me of the step-down process. Who is she? That's either uh, of the yes care personnel. Uh, normally, it's Dr. Sapp, Dr. Pugh, or uh, Ms. Smith, Ms. Richardson, Corey Richardson. Okay. So it's Ms. Richardson, Dr. Pugh, and Dr. Zapp. Those are the three people you're communicating with about Mrs. Adelson's treatment or step-down process? Periodically, I have a captain that actually is over medical, but I go through medical frequently. Okay. Chief Mack, what did you do to prepare for today's hearing? I actually uh, just looked at some of the notes, um, even read the uh, allegations concerning what Ms. Edison uh, was actually, uh, I think it was more your allegations of what occurred in the facility. What notes did you review before you came here, Chief Mack? Other than looking at event logs, um, pretty much that was the extent of it. What are event logs? Event logs are what the officers sit actually on direct observation and documents what's happening while she's on direct observation. Has there been anything that stood out to you in those event logs that the officers are leaving behind? Mr. Squazo, before this continues on, I want this to remain focused on the subject matter of the motion itself. This is not a deposition. If you have further examination, I'll allow you to finish. Thank you, Your Honor. Um, Chief Mack, are you aware that the only person that has been communicating or evaluating Mrs. Adelson since the one time on November 27th that Dr. Pugh saw her is Ms. Richardson? 
Let's just say. I'm not aware of who all I know Miss Pugh seen her once, uh, twice, I'm not sure. But it's just I'm getting information from my HSA and Dr. Sapp. So to go back, you're saying Dr. Zapp has personally told you that Dr. Zapp has visited Mrs. Adelson. She told me she was in the area with Ms. Adelson. I don't know because I wasn't present uh, as to what occurred during that meeting. So what does it mean she's in the area? That she was around? Yes, ma'am. That's what she uh, advised me, that she was around. Did you interpret that to mean that she evaluated Mrs. Adelson or that she was around Mrs. Adelson? I interpreted it as she being present in the area. Okay. Thank you, Your Honor. No further questions. Mr. Chairman, and I redirect. Perhaps two. Um, Chief Mack, Ms. Richardson, is she a mental health counselor? Yes, sir. All right. Um, if there were notes regarding the interaction between mental health and the defendant in this case, where would those notes be? I'm going to be in uh, a medical file. You recognize this document as her medical file. Uh, it's moving around a bit. Okay. <laughs> yes, I would say that was a medical problem. All right. You know if anybody's asked for these besides me? No, sir. That's all good. Chief Mack, you may take your seat. Mr. Toomey, the place I did want to start with there being a procedure in place is to assure that this is not random or arbitrary. Is there a procedure with regard to inmates with self-harm concerns or direct observation? There is. It's standard in each and every jail. It is that until a mental health counselor or another medical provide, mental health provider, like a psychiatrist or psychologist, is um, assured that that person does not possess or uh, present a risk of self-harm, then they stay on that status. And they... They figure out where that status is by charting daily. A mental health counselor sees her. Have you been able to provide a copy of either the policy or the or the patient file to Ms. Adelson's attorney? I haven't been asked. I can tell you before this motion was written, no one has asked for these medical records because I am the final arbiter in this state for this client. I decide whether the records are going out. Very well. Moving on to the second issue that this raises, Ms. Squazo, there is a very specific separation of powers issue that this poses for the court. The sheriff runs the jail. I run my courtroom. The DCAs have been fairly clear when it comes to the court essentially directing medical care, what goes on in the facility. It's basically a no-no without an actual violation of the Constitution. What is my authority to actually step in the situation and give you what you're asking for? Your Honor, I, I believe that there has been a violation of the Constitution here. There is, Miss Adelson and I have not been permitted to talk behind this uh, glass wall that they're speaking of. The first time we spoke was Friday. She was on speakerphone, I was on speakerphone, and she was sitting with a guard seated next to her. And the only way that that call was facilitated was because Ms. Georgia Kappelman was nice enough to call the jail and arrange it. I have called the jail repeatedly over the past 22 days, begging 
to be permitted to either speak to Mrs. Adelson or for Mrs. Adelson to speak to me and no one responds. As to Mr. Toomey's response that nobody has called him, nobody has asked him for records, I tried calling the general counsel's office repeatedly in the past week to try to resolve this issue. Um, I, I understand what's being said today in court. And I, like I said in my motion, I'm not trying, I understand that there's separation of powers and I understand that the court is limited and what they can do in directing the jail. Um, but I think that one thing that your honor can do is you have heard that the jail and Mr. Toomey said, he's the arbiter in the state. All jails run the same. The jail in Miami-Dade County cleared Mrs. Adelson, a psychiatrist, a mental health professional that works for the state, that works for the Department of Corrections, has said that she is not required to be on direct observation. She comes here and all of a sudden that changes. So I feel that there's some sort of disconnect. And I think, and I think that there needs to be uh, a third party evaluating her to make the determination. And I think that that's not an unreasonable ask. That's something that the jail can accept. And I think the state is not opposed to that. So that's what I'm asking the court to allow me to bring in my own mental health professional to evaluate Mrs. Adelson and make a determination whether or not she is a suicide risk or for the jail to accept the determination or speak to the jailers in Miami-Dade County that observed her and made a completely different determination about her mental state. Mr. Toomey, Mr. Pimentel, what administrative remedies are actually available to inmates absent the court stepping in? Well, that is a, a key question when it comes to injunctions. That's yes. There are two means. First, that there's a grievance procedure in the jail that can and must be followed. Second, there is always civil suit, either in this courthouse or the fancy courthouse up the street. Um, so there are legal avenues in place that preclude the entry of an injunction. Um, there was something that was just said. I, I am not the arbiter for the state. I am for this client in the jails in, that they have in this state when it comes to sending out the medical records. It's either by release or by subpoena. The authority is there. Mr. Pimentel, do you have anything further to argue on behalf of the sheriff? Well, Your Honor, I need to put something on the record first. Um, James Pimentel, General Counsel of the Sheriff's Office. I've been Sheriff McNeil's General Counsel for almost seven years now. Uh, I've never heard from this attorney. I haven't heard from anyone representing this uh, this uh, defendant. Any assertion, sir, that they've, they've attempted to contact the Office of General Counsel? I have a paralegal. I have email. I've never been contacted by this defendant or this defendant's counsel. Very well. I'm going to make my findings as follows as to the issue of there being a Sixth Amendment violation where there is no access by Ms. Adelson to counsel of record. I cannot find that. However, Ms. Adelson being able to confer with counsel privately. Mr. Toomey, Mr. Pimentel, is there an ability to make accommodation for that even in the observation wing? Yes, Your Honor, there is. We have a protocol, Your Honor. Very well. What I would ask you to do then <clears throat> is please speak with defense counsel as to what accommodations can be made so she can visit with counsel privately as she prepares for her case. Obviously, there's a very voluminous amount of discovery that's already been provided by the state. Is that correct, Ms. Kappelman? Yes, Your Honor. 
She is going to need to be able to speak in private with her attorney and go through all documents, all records, all manner of evidence that the state is seeking to use as a part of its case in chief. Does she have ability to use either a computer or some form of multimedia while in direct observation? Your Honor, we, she wouldn't be able to do it while in the direct observation cell, but we would make accommodations through security to make that occur. Very well. According to the policy that you already have in place, when will her status as residing in direct observation be revisited? Every day, Your Honor, on a daily basis. Right, Mr. Scalzo, as to issuing an injunction against the jail, I do not believe I have the authority to do so. The District Court of Appeal rulings, and I'm specifically going to cite Bradshaw versus Sandler. This is found at 955 Southern 2nd, 1219, fourth DCA case from 2007. That specifically dealt with a trial court who ordered a defendant to be taken to a dentist of his choosing. Similar by analogy for me to allow Miss Adelson to be seen by a psychiatrist or psychologist that is a third party is stepping on the separation of powers in that regard. Until there's been an exhaustion of remedies with regard to whatever internal procedure is available for her to avail herself of regarding grievances or other matters with the jail, an injunction is not something that I can entertain at this point. Did you wish to be heard further? No, Your Honor, not on this topic. Ms. Kappelman, did you have anything further you wish to argue on behalf of the state? Right, Mr. Toomey, Mr. Pimentel, and Chief Mack, if you can get with defense counsel, I think that will eliminate next time the need to have any hearings on a basis such as this. Obviously, Ms. Adelson wants to prepare for her trial. She is entitled to do so, but the sheriff runs the jail. I fully recognize that, and I respect that. Do you wish to be heard further? Nothing further. Right, let's move on to the matter of the arraignment. Also, while we were here this afternoon as well. Excuse you. You are excused. Uh, Your Honor, before they're excused, I would like them to provide me, yes, their business card so that I may contact them. Thank That's you. That's fine. I go to you on LinkedIn because I couldn't find them. Right. As to the matter of the arraignment, does your client waive the reading of the indictment? Yes, Your Honor. How does she plead? Not guilty, Your Honor. Not guilty plea is entered for the record. While we're here, we might as well have a brief case management as well. Ms. Kappelman, I believe you stated you've already provided discovery to the defense. Yes, Your Honor. Mr. Scalzo, realistically, how much time do you think it's going to take you to go through what you've already received? 
Your Honor, as long as I have access to Mrs. Adelson, as uh, have, has been stated here in court, and she has access to be able, as you know, there's recordings uh, in this case, and as long as she's able to listen to them and we're able to listen to them together, um, we plan to proceed to trial promptly. Very well. I was thinking of when another case management date would be good to kind of keep a good status of this as far as where it's moving. Is February too early or would you prefer March? Oh, no, Your Honor, I'd like earlier. I, I, I don't, I don't, as long as I can communicate with Mrs. Adelson, uh, I'm happy to have a status in January if that works for the court and, and the state. Ms. Koppelman? Yes, sir. I definitely don't want to push too hard too fast, but once we get locked into a trial date, absent there being good cause, we're really not going backwards. So I want you to take, give me realistic estimates as far as how much time it's going to take to prepare. Uh, as far as any depositions that you're already aware of that you are going to take in this matter, have you identified those? Have you noticed any? No, Your Honor, because I have not been able to discuss that with Mrs. Adelson. Very well. We'll pick back up with this then in January for status. Cheyenne, if you could give me the dates for January. All right, we'll put it on January 9th. I believe that's Ms. Dugan's docket date. January 9th at 2.30, you may appear by Zoom if you need to, and we'll readdress the matter then. Does either party have anything further to address concerning case management, at least for today? Nothing further, Your Honor. We are in recess. For everyone on the Zoom, I'm about to turn it off. That was the conclusion of the hearing. Have a good afternoon. It's about what I expected. Yeah, you are uh, very quickly looking at Ronnie Adelson uh, with a bailiff to her left, a female bailiff, and you're looking at Maricel Destalzo, Miami-based criminal defense attorney. Uh, see, Donna is in a Leon County jail jumpsuit, so putting that to rest. Um, they're talking right now. Let's keep an eye on this for a moment. She looks incredulous, Donna Sue Adelson does. And uh, she is shackled, both hands and feet, which is what you can give them five minutes, but then we need to shut down the court. Jeremy, we'll watch this for a moment. Um, just move behind a pillar here, uh, but we'll keep an eye on this for just another moment. They're probably going to shut down this pool camera, and there you go. There you are. Been in the business a while, Jer, so I knew that that was coming. So um, let's go through this kind of point by point. A reminder, at 5 o'clock, top of the hour, we're going to have a whole new uh, show for you with Nate Prince, who's a high-profile criminal defense attorney out of Tallahassee, as well as Jackie Pulverari, former inmate, and a woman named Jane, who uh, I've spoken to, who spent um, time this past year in the same pod as Donna Sue Adelson in the Leon County Jail. She can take your questions about what it's like in there and the treatment. So before I forget, Charlie Adelson is going to have his sentencing. That is at 
Beginning at 10.30 tomorrow morning, we will be live with Jeremy Mutz beginning at 10.15 a.m. live on our YouTube channel. Again, Jeremy Mutz will be uh, taking the reins 10.15 a.m. for Charlie Adelson's sentencing. That will go longer because there will be vic uh, victim impact statements, and Jeremy will lead us through that. Uh, the, the headline here, and then I'll let Jeremy take over. Donna waives her reading of the indictment. Uh, her attorney pleaded not guilty for her. Her next appearance is now January 9th at 2.30 p.m. Judge Everett had suggested February or March, much further out. It appears to me, Jeremy, that uh, Donna Sue Adelson is not only not waiving her right to a speedy trial, but she wants it done ASAP. Is that the impression you get, Jeremy? It does. And there's some strategy there with her attorney, you know, wanting to put up, put forward that strong appearance that, you know, my client's innocent. You know, we want our day in court. And that's a way both to maybe give Donna more confidence and, and maybe also put on a confident front for the for the state. If you're defending somebody in a situation like this. Um. This was really fascinating. Did, did this go longer than you anticipated, Jeremy? This was a, a little mini, mini deposition slash trial uh, this afternoon, but it, it it was longer than what I expected. Is it longer than what you expected, being a person that has dealt in the Tallahassee courts a lot? It, it It's not unexpected. I think a lot of times these things just kind of move in a, in a slow pace. Um, I kind of feel like with without Donna testifying or without some additional piece of evidence, there was just really no way this was going anywhere. And I think uh, the ultimate result is what I expected, that the court would weigh in. You know, y'all at the jail, you need to facilitate her having contact with her attorney and facilitate the electronics that she needs. Um, and, you know, keep in mind back when Charlie was first in this phase of his case, they had a similar issue come up where Mr. Um, Rashbaum said he couldn't uh, communicate that well and he couldn't get the evidence to Charlie and the court at that time did pretty much the same thing. That's all I would expect to do. Uh, courts are just very reluctant to get down and manage in the jail. They don't want to do that. Uh, they don't want to get the sheriff uh, mad at them and uh, it's just not a not what they want to do. Uh, in terms of Eighth Amendment cruel and unusual punishment, they, they just didn't get anywhere close to showing you know that this is uh, a pattern of abusive conduct or, or some, you know, overtly abusive behavior toward Ms. Adelson. Um, it's more just a matter of, you know, it's not pleasant being on suicide watch, you know, and I've, and I've had to visit a client in the, in the same exact situation on direct observation, you know, and you go there, he's in a, in a room with a glass door and he's got nothing but that suicide blanket. And it's, it's very unpleasant. Uh, but you you can facilitate communication with your client that way. And um, so I'm not surprised really with with the result. Yeah, I kind of want to go through this step by step here. So, uh, first of all, what do you make, Jeremy, of uh, Donna Sue Adelson's appearance? Obviously, everyone is looking at her. She was in this blue prison jumpsuit. To me, she looked a bit haggard. She had on uh, glasses with white thermals underneath. How did she look to you? Well, her demeanor is what jumped out most at me. For me, you know, you're you're asking the court for this relief to potentially let you out of jail and go home, but you're you're smirking, you're making you're making uh, facial expressions, you're you're making comments. I mean, it didn't help didn't help her at all. Uh, I don't envy Miss Descalzo in terms of this going forward to trial in the sense that 
you know, she's going to do her absolute best for her client, but then her client's sitting over here making faces the whole time. So uh, that surprised me the most. I mean, I, I don't think she appeared to be in any particular distress or, or ill health. I mean, I, she looked about how I would expect somebody to look, you know, how I would look if I'd been in jail for a few weeks and, you know, didn't have the chance to, you know, shower and, you know, dress and do the things that I would normally do to make the best uh, appearance I possibly could. You know, some people might say it wouldn't it wouldn't help that much anyway, but um, she would certainly look a lot better if she had her her normal uh, household uh, routine and so forth. So I, I don't really see anything there that was one way or another. But I saw her demeanor was really a problem, and I think if the court was inclined to entertain any of what she was saying, you know, she. She was not helping herself with how she was acting. Um, at one point, Judge Everett told Don Adelson to allow to stop commenting and to allow counsel to speak for her. Uh, when a judge says that, obviously he is noticing that she's speaking up. Um, you know, a judge is supposed to remain um, impartial, but is is it inevitable that uh, she's just seen a particular way when she's interrupting? It is, you know, it's a first impression. First impressions are so monumental. This is the first time this judge is really interacting with her. You know, and one of the reasons for doing a motion like this is to get some sympathy for your client. And it's also kind of that opening salvo against the state, not only to convince your client that, hey, I'm fighting for you, but also to show the state we're going to fight in this case. And so the sympathy part of this is completely eviscerated because I don't see an abused person here. I don't see a person that's being uh, threatened, mistreated. I see somebody that's coming to court smirking and, you know, she can't control her uh, her facial expressions. I think I think it would have been better for her if she hadn't come uh, to, to court at all on this, really. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Uh, would, that, would that have been an option? Because she waived her arraignment. Uh, the judge has entered a plea for her, so she didn't really have to be there, right? Yeah, she didn't really have to be there. And, you know, you could think about what might have tipped this over to give the, the court more grounds to grant the motion had she testified. You know, she her presence would be necessary then to say, you know, this is what's happened to me. You know, I had a correctional officer deny me food or something like that. Uh, but this really wouldn't be a, a necessary thing uh, for her to have to do. Um, so just going through some of the details here, I'd like to uh, run through what we just saw. First of all, um, Jeremy, who I didn't catch who Mr. Toomey is, but he was obviously speaking on behalf of the state. Can you tell us who he is? You know, I believe he represents I believe he represents the sheriff's office. Okay. Um, you know, he may be with the Florida Sheriff's Association. His his. Uh, who he works for is not clear. I knew him when he represented, I think. Uh, prison medical staff. When I worked for the attorney general's office, he was also in some of those cases representing uh, some of the doctors and and the medical companies that provide health care. So I think he represents either the sheriff directly or maybe the Florida Sheriff's Association. Uh, and that makes perfect sense because he was obviously defending the uh, the protocol at the jail, the Leon County Jail. So 
Maricel Descalzo, she is a Miami-based attorney. Um, it's unclear whether or not she will actually be Don Adelson's attorney once this goes to trial. But for right now, she is. She basically admitted um, that they can do these 60-minute videos, but they can't meet in person, and their ability to meet is limited. She's not permitted to have paper because of this suicide risk. Uh, Georgia Kaplman and the state then came in and uh, made it clear that Donna Sue Adelson is on direct observation, which means she's on suicide watch. And they then deferred to Mr. Toomey, who, as I'm almost certain, is representing uh, the jail here, the Leon County Jail. And Mr. Toomey got up there and very quickly said there is no impediment with meeting with a client. And not only that, Donna Sue Adelson has a tablet. And then he went on to say, look, she made threats and it's on phone calls between her and Charlie to commit suicide with pills. Uh, they obviously, um, while, while Chief Mack, and we'll get to that in a moment, didn't really seem up to speed necessarily about her case. Uh, this attorney, Mr. Toomey, certainly did. If this is true that, you know, that there's no impediment with meeting with a client and she had she has access to a tablet, it sounds like she's basically just another inmate in the Leon County Jail, but she might not be used to being treated that way. Is that possible, Jeremy? Well, that's very possible. You know, she's used to having her ni a nice home, probably the home office, the technology, people that can help her with it. You know, people that, you know, she could call Charlie, say, hey, I'm having a, a problem with my desktop. Can you help me walk through this? Uh, she doesn't have that now. And, you know, I trust Mr. Toomey at his word on this. And I think ultimately they'll work through this. Like, like we saw in the last trial with Charlie, they worked through this and Charlie was able to listen to the calls apparently enough that he, he knew more about the, the number of these calls than I think the state did um, and could identify them by the exhibit number. So I think they'll work through that, but to speak in terms of Ms. Descalzo's behalf, it's not it's not entirely easy to talk to your client. I mean, I, I just went to visit a client this morning in the Bay County Jail, and I had to make a couple requests, wait over the weekend to get clearance to actually come and meet with my client. So it's, it's not that you can just show up at the jail and see your client on a moment's notice, uh, but I think they'll make it work. I mean, I, th I think uh, I don't see anything that's really gonna be a, a monumental thing for them to overcome. And I think if she gets out of suicide watch, out of direct observation, she's going to have the headphones back. It's going to be hard, easier for her to make calls. I don't know if she has any kind of hearing trouble, but if they've taken away the headphones for suicide watch, does that make it harder for her to call? You know, once she's out of there back in a general population setting, it's probably going to be easier for her to communicate with Mr. Scalzo and review evidence. Um, but I think also the defense may be just putting the state and the jail on notice that don't let this be a problem. The court's on notice and probably things will go smoothly. But if not, I think if Mr. Scalzo has to come back on the same issue, the court will probably enter a little bit stronger of an order that you need to get her a laptop. You need to get her uh, a place where she can make calls and, and things like that. So she may just be, this may be sort of a warning shot on the part of Mr. Scalzo. 
Hmm. Uh, that's an interesting comment here. You can tell her attorney is not from the Tallahassee area. She is from Miami. And that was a question that came up uh, during the Charlie Adelson trial. Uh, still a lot to talk about here. But Jeremy, do you think it would benefit Donna Sue Adelson to hire a local counsel for this trial if you were advising her being a guy from Tallahassee? You know, I think if an attorney is really willing to be creative and put the work in, they can do everything a local attorney can do. And I, and I think it hurt Ms. Descalzo a little bit by not reaching out to some of these people and saying, here's a problem. How can we work through this? Um, a good a good local attorney will do that. But also you could have a local attorney that doesn't do that and, and, and just have the same result. So I don't know it's really determinative in that sense. I've heard some attorneys say that, you know, this issue could have been resolved over the phone in a few minutes uh, with a local attorney. I think it's more just a matter of making the effort. And I, if I'm if I'm from Miami or New York or anywhere else, I would just say make the effort, get to know the people that run the jail. If you're dealing with a client like this, and and get to get to have a rapport with the people. Like I said about Charlie's trial, if you don't have a likable client, you've got to be a likable attorney. And and part of that is overcoming the the difference because, you know, me with my accent, if I go try a case in Los Angeles or New York City, you know, I'm a little bit on, on shaky ground. But if but if I'm friendly to the jury and they, and they feel like they can trust me and I can kind of be all shucks and they kind of like, man, this where's this guy from? But, you know, we, we we've got to where we know him. We got to where we like him. You know, his client may be a total scumbag, but at least we like the attorney. That's that's the challenge. And it's going to be a big challenge for Mr. Scalzo because, you know, there are things there is sort of a home turf advantage um, of knowing the people, of knowing where things are, how to get things done. You know, what if you need emergency copies made or something like that? You know, you're you're at a disadvantage um, for all those things. But if you work at it and, and you get to know people and just just be a people person, even if you're not one, you know, make the effort. I think it's okay. Now, you know, if, if I were in Donna's shoes, seeing the past trials, all the trials that have happened, I would really be inclined to hire somebody local. I would say I want my attorney that I'm familiar with, but let's have somebody that tries a lot of cases in the local area. Let's try something different. And, you know, what's the definition of insanity is to keep doing the same thing, expecting a different result. We've, we've had nothing but out of town attorneys all through this. And when we've had guilty verdicts, you know, maybe it is time to try somebody local as co-counsel that can, you know, really uh, appeal to people. I think with Charlie's case, had they had some attorney that's more connected, more relatable to those jurors, it could have been different. And whether that's just his demeanor or her demeanor or whether it's a demographic thing that you could relate to that person. And, you know, I can relate to, to them and they can relate to me. You know, try something different. It may be maybe time. Jeremy, I didn't know you had an accent. What are you talking about? <laughs> Uh, um, this was an interesting exchange. So at one point, Mr. Toomey, who we're assuming is the attorney for the Leon County Jail, went up to the chief. The chief Mac from the jail was being skewered by the Miami-based attorney for Donna Adelson. And at one point, he goes up with the medical file for Donna Sue Adelson, and he says, 
chief, did anyone ask for this? Or he goes, is this a medical file? And he says, yes. Did anyone ask for it? And he says, not that I'm aware of. So uh, that was a little bit of, uh, you know, drama in the courtroom. Uh, but the question here is, does that mean Donna's attorney hasn't even asked for Donna's medical file from the Leon County Jail? Is that even possible that they wouldn't have asked for it? It is. And, and that's kind of what I say by the fact that regardless of whether the attorney's from the area or from out of town, um, make the effort to, to contact these people, um, get the medical records, uh, because that could have been very powerful if she had something from those records to show that Donna had only been seen once since she'd been there. And you could ask the court to take judicial notice of those records and admit those. I mean, that would have been a powerful thing in support of the argument, because essentially the argument was built up to be that my client's languishing in the jail um, and that she has been flagged as suicidal, but nobody's evaluated her since she's been in Leon County. That's why she brought out uh, in Dade County. Apparently they made a determination there that she was not a suicide risk. You know, they put her in a van to come north. What changed? Um, and, and I thought she was on the verge of making some good points there in the sense that Donna was just sort of defaulted into suicide and nobody's done anything to check on it since. And so they're letting her languish in a cell. That's the argument. I mean, I don't really think that's the case, but I think that's what they were trying to do. But if they'd had the records, they might've had something that could have used. So uh, I thought it was a good point by Mr. Timmy. Um, I kind of felt bad for Chief Mack because, you know, he he's not a courtroom FBI agent that's trained to testify and, and he's in court all the time and in front of a grand jury all the time. And, you know, um, he, he, he asked me right now details about my HR at my firm or, or previous firms. I mean, I would probably look like I was clueless about, you know, did you do a W-2 for this employee? And, you know, and he just was kind of thrust into this. Um, you know, but I thought both sides made some good points with what they were doing in that. Yeah, he, he did seem a bit confused. Um, just just for a moment, um, just to clarify, I mean, th this is look, everyone pretty much wants Donna's head on a on a, you know, platter here. But it is important for constitutional rights to be upheld, Jeremy, um, if she's getting treatment that is preferential in a bad way. In other words, if she's being mistreated more so than the other inmates, that is problematic, right? And I think that that's what was really at the crux of all this today. So the judge just wants to make sure that she is, her constitutional rights are being granted at the end of the day, right? Absolutely. And, you know, some of the comments that were alleged to have been made by correctional staff towards her here's the rich white lady accused of murder. You know, you're not so special here. We, you don't run things here. Um, you know, I think allegations like that have to be looked at seriously because nobody should be mistreated in, in that setting. Um, and I think the court treated this seriously like he should. I think he handled it just the way you'd want done. I mean, I think it is a concern how somebody's treated you know, she's in her 70s. You know, I think there's, you know, in a day where we have seen anti-Semitism come out in, in a way that's shocking 
to me, you know, thinking about over the last 20, 30 years to have some of this come up against college students, against uh, people on the street being attacked. I think we have to treat that seriously as well, you know, in in Donna's situation. And and I, I don't think any of that actually happened to her, but the court treated it seriously. And I think that's exactly the way it should be treated. By the way, if you have questions for Jeremy, we'll go a little while longer. Just I'm going to scoot to the bottom of the chat and in all cap cues, give me three capital cues and I'll try to get questions over to Jeremy. I'm going to scoot down there to the end of the chat right now. But uh, this is an interesting comment from Jinka, 1950. Where's Wendy? So obviously during Charlie's trial, there was no family there. No Donna, no Harvey, no Wendy. You surprised at all to see no one there, including uh, Donna's husband of 40 plus years, Harvey Adelson. Is it, is it surprising? They want to stay as far away from this courtroom as a turkey would want to stay away from the the farmer on Thanksgiving morning. Um, you know, they, they don't want this. They don't want to be involved in this. It's almost like you put your head down that or a child that puts their fingers in their ear, la, 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 like they don't hear it. They don't see it. Um, they don't want anything to, to do with it. And uh, well, if I were in their shoes, I, I might, I might take the same view. Uh, here's a question, and uh, we're going to get more insight into this from someone who spent time in the Leon County Jail starting at 5 o'clock. But what type of cuisine is Donna eating? Um, Jared, what's a typical lunch or a dinner at the Leon County Jail? Do you know? I don't recommend it. Um, bologna, bologna sandwiches, things like that. <laughs> diet, you know, diet sodas. You know, it's nothing pleasant. I, I know more about the I know more about the state prison food because I, I was involved in some of that litigation. But, you know, worse than hospital food, worse than airline food. If you remember the day that airlines even had food, mm. um, you know, not good. I would not want anybody to to go there, but enough to keep you sustained. You know, and, and, and I say a lot of times if you get, keep your head down and you just deal with day to day life in jail, you don't get into fights with people. You can survive jail. She can survive until trial. Um, but but nothing is as nice as, as what she's had it um, in terms of the bed she sleeps on, in terms of the ability to maintain her personal hygiene and appearance. None of the comforts that she had are there for her. Um, and it's just the minimal sort of subsistence that you would uh, you know get in a, in a jail. By the way, people say, well, she's not going to make it to trial. No chance. Uh, my good friend John Singer has said that, you know, she looks pretty, you know, spry to me. She doesn't look like a really frail 73 year old. Do you, how does she strike you, Jeremy? You know, that's one of the things I alluded to with her demeanor. I thought, you know, by the by the content of the motion, I would expect to see somebody just kind of down and almost beaten down in appearance or ill. But she looked feisty. She looked ready to to scrap. She looked like she was ready to, you know, spar with anybody, you know, in that courtroom. Uh, she is not a shrinking violet. And uh, that's why I say I don't envy Miss Descalzo, because I bet she could get an earful from from Miss Adelson when, uh, you know, when Miss Adelson is, is free to give vent to that. Um, I don't think it's helpful. I mean, I'd want her at trial to be grandmotherly. I'd want her to appear a little bit more frail. I'd want to to have somebody that's, you know, 
humble in appearance, um, but she doesn't seem that way at all. She seems like she is, you know, ready to go after that special agent on the on the bump and, uh, you know, give him, you know, give him what for on the steps of the, the icon. <laughs> uh, Katie Girl here. Has a trial date been set? No, but Judge Stephen Everett did set the next case hearing, and that is for January 9th, I believe, at sometime in the early afternoon. Uh, Jeremy, again, it appears, um, and I've talked to some people you know, surrounding this case, that Donna Adelson wants to go to trial as quickly as possible, which leads you to believe that she just wants it one way over one way or the other, or she thinks that you know she can beat this and be out quickly. She just doesn't want to stay in jail. How, realistically, if there's another case hearing in January, I mean, what's a realistic timeline for her to have a trial begin? And this entire time leading up to that, she's going to be sitting in that jail. That's true. And, you know, in Florida, your right to a speedy trial is 180 days. So, you know, if, if she does not waive that right, if she does not ask for a continuance herself, the trial would have to be between now and then. So we could we could be looking at a trial in March or April um, under those parameters, um, which I think the state can do that. I mean, the state has tried this case before. It's not it's not markedly different from what they did in Charlie's trial. And, and that could very well be what's driving this is that Miss Adelson wants her day in court, wants to get this over with, thinks that she has a shot at getting out. And, you know, some of that is if you're her attorney, how do you, how do you convince her otherwise? You know, if she's adamant about that, if you, if you say Ms. Adelson, I think the state has a pretty good case here against you. Why don't we take some time to, to develop a defense and investigate some things? No, I want my day in court. I know when they hear me, I'm going to go home. And, and so you're, you're trying to do your job as an attorney, but they may be, you know, telling you they want they want their day in court, and they're they're the captain of the ship, you know, in, in decisions of of that nature. Uh, question: What is the likelihood this high-priced Miami attorney will be ready for this trial? As she boasts, um, you know, Jeremy, I, I know um, the previous attorney spent a lot of hours working on this case, uh, as most attorneys do. I'm not sure Maricel Descalzo has ever handled a case like this. And I have had sources tell me that they are looking for counsel in Tallahassee. Let's assume that they go with an attorney in Tallahassee, maybe as co-counsel. That attorney has to get caught up to speed. And there's so much discovery. So, I mean, wouldn't that alone just take months, if not a year or so? It certainly could. You know, if they try to listen to every single call and that was Mr. Rashbaum's contention that he, he needed to listen to these these calls, these files, you bring a new attorney in. Let's say they hire that person in the next couple of months. That person has to clear their schedule. So that could be grounds to to delay this. And they may have to uh, recede from that demand or, or sort of that track to, to be a speedy trial. And they may have to say, you know, we just as a practical matter, we need to try this in the summer or the fall of 2024 rather than the uh, the spring as they would have to, you know, now. And so I think that's very likely. And I, and I think, you know, you, you could hire, 
you know, XYZ attorney in Tallahassee, but they may have three or four trials in the next three months. And, you know, you probably have to clear your, your docket of other things, but how fast you could do that is, would remain to be seen, you know, and, and it's a little bit different from the movies, you know, in the movies, like a time to kill or something like that, you know, the attorney ends up with just one case, you know, in the real, in real life, you know, that may happen, but that could also bankrupt your firm, you know, because you have no choice but to only focus on this one case. Um, but most attorneys will have to juggle different things. You know, we have uh, Miss Wendy's attorney that she, that he's, you know, not only representing Wayne, Wendy Adelson, but he's representing a, a former president, you know, of, you know, as strange as that may seem, but, uh, you know, he's juggling both. And if she were charged, you know, he would have to, he would be in the same boat. Do I try this case myself or do I bring somebody else in? Uh, and, by the uh, way, time for, time for a quick plug. For those who don't know, uh, Jeremy Mutz is not only an attorney, but he's also a very talented writer. Jeremy, what are the names of your uh, two books? Well, more. thank you. Thank you, Joel. The first one's called The Chance I'll Take, and the second one is Don't Call It Murder. Both are on Amazon, um, paperback and uh, Kindle. And I appreciate that. That's that's kind of my therapy outlet for what I do. And uh, if you're not getting enough crime news uh, or entertainment, then you go to uh, Jeremy Mutz's book, um, his two books, and you can find them on Amazon. Uh, Whammo or Waymo, whichever way you pronounce it here. If it's Waco, it's Waymo. If it's Wacko, it's Whammo. At what point would Donna switch attorneys? How soon would that have to be done? Well, sooner rather than later. And I hate to be kind of obtuse with my answer, but you definitely don't want to get to the eve of trial and hope the judge will let you have a continuance or a delay to bring in a new attorney. You know, if she is going to do that and she wants to stay on track for a, a trial in, in the near term, she needs to bring in that other attorney now. Judges are very reluctant. And I think Judge Everett actually alluded to that. You know, if we set this for trial, and then you come back and say, we're not ready. I don't want to move backwards, I think is what he what he said just a few moments ago. Um, Katie Girl, so will there be another psych eval for, for Donna? So Judge Everett talked about separation of powers, basically saying he's in charge of the court, the sheriff's in charge of the jail. Uh, the lawyer for Donna Sue Adelson said, look, Donna was given a psych eval in Miami and they deemed her... Uh, to not be a suicide risk, so she didn't have to be on that special watch. But when she came to my uh, to Tallahassee, pardon me, um, it's unclear. It seems like she was not evaluated at all. What was your What was your reading of that, Jeremy? And will she get an evaluation now? I would tend to think she had something of kind of the informal evaluation that you get at the jail in situations like this of somebody just coming to your cell and interacting. Um, but it, it's not a full, like formal courtroom evaluation, like we're used to thinking about, you know, and, and if, and if somebody's found incompetent to proceed, there'd be formal, you know, three or four page reports about the person, the judge would get three of them and make a decision. Or, you know, if they are incompetent and they're coming back to the courthouse to have the trial and the court is going to make a finding that they're competent, there'd be these formal reports. It's not that formal at all in this type of situation. You just have somebody coming around, you know, how are you feeling today? How are you feeling on your medication? You know, what is, what's your mood? 
and that way they can evaluate their their confinement status just on that. And I and I would tend to think that that's happened more than once since she's been there. Um, but you know, I, I agree with you. We really didn't get a clear picture of that. Uh, but I think I would say in the coming days there will probably be another one of those because they want to know: Does she need medication? You know, do is she stabilized? Can we can we put her back in a regular pod with other female inmates, and therefore she would have a little bit more access to use her her headphones, her tablet, uh, visit with people, um, as the case may be, if you know in person visitation is afforded to her. Yeah, and a reminder: coming up at the top of the hour, we're going to have. Uh, a uh, very former uh, Leon County female inmate who was in Donna's pod to describe that, as well as Nate Prince, well-known criminal defense attorney out of Tallahassee, and Jackie Pulverari, who is a former inmate now at Yale Law School, uh, who's been following this case. Uh, Air Drive says, glad to be a member, huge fan, and former student of Dr. Burgess. I just spoke to the living legend, Dr. Ann Burgess. She's going to come on the show again very soon because... Um, Bob Mata of Defense Diaries, which is a great podcast, his father represented John Wayne Gacy, the infamous serial killer, and now is putting together a podcast claiming that there may be more victims and possible accomplices, and uh, Anne wants in on that. So uh, it's going to be a busy week this week with the uh, Dan Markell story and the Adelsons, but we will uh, see when we can get to that likely next week. This is a super sticker. Donna's attorney could be one of the worst I've ever witnessed. Um, I know Jeremy is not going to be an attorney bashing. I don't think that's necessarily true. I just think that this is probably out of her scope of her normal duties. Would you agree with that, Jeremy? I do. And, and I thought she, you know, was articulate and I, and I found her to be so on other occasions. And, you know, if you take an attorney that does nothing but family law and you throw them into criminal, it's, it's a bit of a learning curve. Um, and then also just the facts of this are she didn't have a lot to work with bringing this motion to begin with. And, and I'll give her I'll give her that concede that. So I don't I don't see anything. I mean, that that really jumps out at me. I think the only thing I would take issue with is just like I said before, I think if I were in her shoes, I would have tried to reach out to uh, some of the staff to try to solve this problem. Um, unless this was a strategy, like I say, it, it could have been one to just sort of fire an opening salvo, show your client you're doing something, try to get sympathy for your clients. So you do this rather than pick up the phone and call Chief Mack or, or call, you know, Mr. Toomey or somebody else uh, that could have uh, probably worked this out short of a court motion. And Jeremy from uh, Karen Altschwager. Uh, the fact that she won't have control was, will send her spiraling. Have you had clients who are, you know, everyone believes Donna is a control freak, which is why she is alleged to have had Dan Markell murdered. Of course, Charlie now convicted of that crime. Have you had clients who are control freaks? Or are they difficult to, to work with? I have, and I've had some that are true sociopaths that, you know, I was getting threatening messages from. Um you know, and, and it's very difficult. It's difficult to to interact with clients sometimes just because of the stress, the emotions that they're under. And, you know, these are probably some of the most difficult circumstances that anybody could be in if they're charged with a crime, they find themselves in jail. So all that's difficult automatically. But then if you have somebody that's used to manipulating um, emotionally, things like that, as I think the facts show Donna seems to be capable of, 
Um, and, and you see somebody that's just not able to control themselves, even in the courtroom where she's asking a favor from the judge. So that's going to be very difficult, I think, for Ms. Descalzo or any attorneys working with her because she has to control herself, number one, when they're in the trial, because she's going to hear all kinds of things that are uh, more offensive to her than what she heard today in court and she couldn't control herself. That is for sure. KLK. Now we hear this all the time because I was in Judge Everett's courtroom for Charlie's trial and he said, everyone in the gallery, make sure you're not uh, showing emotion, not smiling, not laughing, not crying. Are defendants allowed to shake their heads and roll their eyes, etc.? You know, that's a very good question because the court like the members of the gallery, the court is going to weigh in when they're doing that excessively. But the courts also have to be very careful that they don't, you know, bring more attention to it or or single out the defense to the point that the defense can later say the court didn't give them a fair trial. Um, but yes, I think, you know, very often the court would probably stop the proceedings excuse the jurors from the courtroom and then deal with that conduct. And, uh, you know, but it's, it's a difficult area sometimes for the court to weigh in. But I, I think if she behaved that way at trial, it would be a really a, a big problem for her. I don't think Judge Everett would, would stand for what she was doing today. Uh, one of the things that's fascinating me is that when Donna was arrested and taken into custody a few weeks back, they took her iPhone, which she didn't want to hand to the FBI agent. But then they also had a warrant and seized Harvey's iPhones and iPads. And they're in the possession of uh, Tallahassee investigators. And I think this is my own feeling that could be a huge turn in the case if they find information on there that's relevant, uh, especially with the fact that Donna and Harvey were trying to flee the country. So maybe they you know, let out a little more than they should have. But the question here from Truth and Transparency, good name, by the way. So Harvey does not have to testify against his wife, correct? Uh, it's probably too early to even ponder that question, Jeremy. But is there a scenario that you see where Harvey would testify against his own wife? It's possible. They, the state could subpoena him and uh, sort of drag him into this the same way Wendy has been. Um, there's not a, an outright privilege against spousal communication in, in Florida, you know, like in some states or in some countries. You know, if people remember the old Agatha Christie play, Witness for the Prosecution, that was a big part of the, the plot of the movie, the play that the wife couldn't be forced to testify against her husband. Um, but in Florida, it's more a privileged communication uh, it's more of a confidential communication privilege. If I tell somebody expecting that would be held in confidence, you know, there may be a privilege that attaches to that, but I, but I can see this possible. He's dragging. It's just doesn't seem very likely. I mean, it doesn't seem like the state could really get anything out of him that they could otherwise get out of the records, the other witnesses. Uh, so I think it's a remote chance, but I mean, it could be, it could just be a way of, you know, putting some pressure on, uh, Donna putting some pressure on Wendy, you know, kind of like that, that was a part of bringing Wendy in, in the previous trials, not only was it to get the family law record in, uh, but it was in a way to put some pressure to, to kind of show that the conspiracy 
the spokes of these wheels being such as they are, when you put Wendy into this, it also solidifies the the web of connectivity with the other co-defendants. Nikki uh, Coots here, question, is it smart to rush this trial, followed by this, and we'll make this the last question, and then say our goodbyes and get ready for the five o'clock show. Uh, from Miss We Last See in Scotland, has the defense scored a home goal by going against judges' recommendations by wanting earlier trial date? Is this not a car crash in the making, given the evidence? Is this a case of be careful what you wish for, Jeremy, that you want it so soon that it's too soon, and then you're clobbered in the courtroom by someone like Georgia Kappelman, who's been studying this for the better part of, you know, eight years, if not more than that, you know? Well, that that certainly could be true, but there could also be a, a strategy of just making the state re gear for this and gear up for this in such a short period of time. You're you're taxing the state's resources. You're putting some pressure on them, you know, and, and I don't know if there's any any kind of intent at all to explore a plea deal. Um, if there if there could be, if that's contemplated at all, putting some pressure on the state uh, and the time frames may help. Um, you know, it could be a strategy just that we know what the evidence is. Let's just roll the dice. And if that is the strategy, there's no real point in delay in that. The case is not going to get better for Donna a year from now versus, you know, three months from now. Uh, this comment, obviously facetious, but I just want to make a remark about it. What if Donna was just going to Vietnam to pick up a bottle of bullet bourbon? That was an illusion uh, alluding to Wendy doing uh, the same and then driving by Trescott, you know, like a shortcut. Um, the interesting thing about that, Jeremy, is I cannot believe a family with this kind of financial resources bought a one way ticket when trying to flee because if this goes to trial, that will almost certainly show consciousness of guilt, will it not? Yeah, and it shows something about the psychology of the people that we're dealing with in the sense of uh, an arrogance, um, a parsimoniousness, you know, in the sense that, yeah, why, why, would you, why would you pinch pennies on this? This is your one chance to flee. Why not make it look good? You know, why not buy a round tip round trip ticket to Paris so the FBI knows you're on the flight list and then you you charter a flight you charter a flight to to Belize or something like that you know why why not spend the money but I think it kind of gets into the psychology of th this family and uh, who they are uh this final this has been coming up a lot in the chat here I didn't hear this because I was taking a lot of notes and uh Texan Space Coast, but did I hear them say that Donna and Harvey had an unalive, meaning a suicide pact? I know that Donna had hinted at that, but is that something that came up earlier, Jeremy? Did I not catch that? I, I thought I heard that too. I did, and uh, my ear kind of perked up a little bit with that. It's, but not surprising. You know, maybe Donna thought that, or maybe wanted Charlie to think that. You know, she. She can use these things to manipulate Charlie as well as manipulate people outside. Uh, please hit that like button if you can. And uh, Dom's mom hitting the nail on the head. Jeremy Mutz equals the best guest, which is why he's on here. And he's going to be back with us tomorrow, 10, 15 a.m. Tomorrow is Charlie's sentencing and victim impact statements. I know the Markells are delivering theirs via Zoom, but you'll hear from other uh, victims uh, you know, impacted in this. And um, maybe we'll hear from Charlie Adelson. I don't know. Um, 
Jeremy, you think we hear from Charlie tomorrow? You think he'll speak? If he does, I'd advise him, if I was his attorney, keep it really short. I don't know if he can do that. Mm, interesting. So we will be back in exactly 13 minutes. We've got Nate Prince, a high-profile criminal defense attorney out of Tallahassee, Jackie Pulveri, who's a former inmate now at Yale Law School, and Jane. She just goes by Jane. She spent time very recently in the same pod as Don Adelson in the Leon County Jail. Jeremy, one more time, the name of your books. The Chance I'll Take and Don't Call It Murder. Jeremy's a talented writer. Make sure you get those books. I'll see you in 13 minutes. Jeremy, thank you so much. Love you, America. Final seconds of the game. A chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system, or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks.